Hello and welcome back to another episode of Let Loose with Moose. Today I have Coin Guru with me. Hey Ben, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on, Moose. I actually like the name. Pretty catchy, Let Loose with Moose. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and I'm super excited to hear what you have to share with us today. Yeah, been in the space for like almost seven years now, so I'm a wealth of knowledge when it comes to a whole bunch of stuff. So, ready to answer your questions. Awesome. Then let's get started with your introduction of and of course, your crypto origin story. All right. So I'm not your typical, I mean, I guess maybe nowadays I'm your typical crypto guy. College dropout, kind of went the degenerate side, lost a bunch, bunch of money on leverage. Actually, it all started back in 2012 when I was playing World of Warcraft. And the funny thing about World of Warcraft is some of the best on-chain traders I know, they all played WoW slash RuneScape as a kid. So I was playing WoW with a kid. He was from Detroit. His mom had like, you know, a serious drug issue and he was really really poor and he was just telling me non-stop to buy bitcoin over and over and over again in 2012 and i think the price of bitcoin was like maybe three or six hundred bucks back then obviously i didn't listen because i was too busy raiding and pvping and warsong gulch to to actually take the time and, and buy and it was a pretty complex process back then so i just ignored it and then 2017 rolls around uh the tail end of 2017 sometime at the end of november and i haven't heard from this kid in like maybe three or four years and he hits me up out of the blue on discord and he's like yo buy bitcoin i'm like oh yeah i remember you and he goes it's going to like you know 10 20 30 and i think the price of bitcoin is like three or four thousand so i said all right i'm gonna take a look into it and i wind up downloading a coinbase account and then i bought what pretty much was everybody's first buy in 2017 which was litecoin because it was like the cheaper, faster Bitcoin. It was the silver Bitcoin, right? The silver of Bitcoin. So I ripped a bunch of Litecoin on Coinbase. Never heard from that kid, by by the way, ever again. I think he made like <laughs> millions and millions and millions and then just like fucked off and, and now is somewhere on a yacht in some island. But bought a bunch of Litecoin on Coinbase. Then I proceeded to read a bunch of bullish articles about Justin Sun and TRX. I thought he literally was like the next prodigy. He was going to be a, the president of the world. So I made a Binance account, rotated all my Litecoin around 200 into TRX around like 0. 0.002 cents. I think I had $3,000 in crypto by then. And then TRX went absolutely crazy after the John McAfee tweet when he was doing Coin of the Day. I don't know if you remember remember that back in the day. So he tweeted TRX, I turned 3K into $33,000 and then proceeded to lose it all over at BitMEX over the next three years to literally zero. Then Wishwash traded my money around until about July or June of 2020, which was DeFi summer. Then opened up a leverage long on BitMEX with the remainder of my funds. Maybe not the remainder, probably like 80% of them. And I wind up moving to Binance at that point from BitMEX. And Bitcoin went from 9K to 11.6 in a single like candle. I don't know if you remember that either. But how do you remember it so specifically? I don't know. Just because, uh, just because it's just something that was like a major wow factor for me. Because I actually forgot that I was 100x long on the remainder of my funds on BitMEX. I completely forgot. And then I wound up checking the price at like $12,000. 
and I was just going through old accounts to see like what money I had left. And I logged into BitMEX and I was up like six figs on this position because I was a hundred X from the bottom. It was, it, if you like go back and look at the price action between then it, Bitcoin pretty much was consolidating a super tight range between like nine and 9.3 K. There was like 0.1, intraday moves. So for me, it was like pretty easy not to get liquidated because Bitcoin wasn't volatile at all. And if you like caught the bottom, it was literally up only since then. And I logged into BitMEX. I was like, shit, man, I actually have some money now. So ran up on leverage then, rotated it all to, to cake slash BSC season. And then that's where I created my fortune and the rest is history. Nice, nice. Um, well, let, let me just process that. There was a lot of things you mentioned at one point. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so wow, you... You first heard of this in 2012 and got in in 2017, right? So now it's been seven years now. Bought Litecoin, then TRX, made a shit ton longing Bitcoin and forgot about it on BitMEX. And then yep. um, played around on BSC season in, I think that's what, 2020? Yeah, 2019? it was... Yeah, Bitcoin hit all-time high in December 2020, I think. And then January slash February was when BNB went on its crazy run. And then BSC just completely took off. Awesome. And then you've been trading meme coins, shit coins since then? Yeah, pretty much nonstop. I entirely gave up leverage. I just really don't see... I don't see a benefit in it anymore because... If I'm going to trade leverage, I'm going to have to trade like massive size. And I honestly don't want to deposit a lot of money into a sex one because I'm not comfortable. And two, I just it's not it doesn't give me as much euphoria as hitting like 100x on like a 60 mark 60k market cap coin. That just gives me a little bit more dopamine than what I'm used to because I'm pretty much dopamine depleted after all these years <laughs> of crypto. Man, that is insane, man. Yeah, I mean, since you mentioned that you don't even kind of trading um, on and off, right? Like short to medium term plays just curious do you hold any long-term bags at all yeah so i kept saying this a lot like over the last year or two that you don't really want to make like your core concentrated bet until bitcoin like after the bitcoin bitcoin's new all-time high but i kind of shifted from that mindset a little bit i pretty much only have one like really big long-term bag and it's like a one to two year horizon where 75 percent of my portfolio in and that's tau and i think you've probably heard about all the ruckus going on with tau on crypto twitter and in group chats and stuff like that it's like the the bitcoin of ai it's going to ten thousand dollars a coin so yeah tau is probably my my definitely my contrary bet then i hold a bunch of little stuff like i hold arbitrum i hold some smaller caps i hold bitcoin i hold eth i hold uh oh god what else do i hold i hold kanto i hold op yeah, that's it. Then recently, I've done a bunch of uh, like angel investing and seed deals for some for some longer term stuff, just because I haven't had the opportunity to ever do that. And I figured if I'm gonna be here for another two years, I might as well invest in some some promising founders for the future. Mm -hmm. Awesome, nice. And I, I think I saw your tweet on having a seventy five percent position and thinking it's not large enough. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know why. I sold this. I don't. I sold the Smurf Cat top kind of. Uh, back when like the Joe slash Hippo slash SPX slash Smurf Cap era happened a few months ago, and then I rotated it into Tau between 80 and 100, and then I started averaging up between 200, and I have a lot of Tau, like enough where if it goes to 10,000, I should do really really well for myself, but I still feel like I don't have enough because everybody in my group chat has a lot more Tau than me, and it makes it feel a little bit sad. <laughs> awesome, right? I know we've been talking a lot on on trading such. Um narrative coins and all right but curious to hear what's your framework on 
narrative plays, right? How do you find them? How do you screen through them and decide which ones are going into your portfolio? The narratives are, it's such an interesting topic because there's so much that goes into like what actually sparks a narrative. And the thing about the last, like, you know, I personally think that the bull market started when Pepe went to 1.6 billion. I think that's what really ignited the space. And obviously like the, Mm -hmm. the BTC ETF announcement, that was like kind of the start, but on chain really started during the Pepe, Pepe craze. And narratives have been really, really hit or miss. They've been very fast rotations. Usually narratives don't last longer than two to four weeks. And if you believe that they are going to last longer than that, likely at the end of the day, you are left holding the bag. So there's definitely a few different things that go into like what creates a narrative, how long a narrative lasts, like top signals, like when a narrative actually starts. So I think that the first thing to look at for a narrative is like, does it make sense? Like, for example, did the Solana meme coin narratives, did those make sense, right? There was like, I'd say there was probably like the narrative on Solana was meme coins, right? It's, you know, it wasn't DeFi summary, it was meme coins. So if you're taking that, that like the meme coin narrative as a whole and putting on Solana, that made sense. And why did it make sense, right? You had you had the Jitto stimmy, you had the Jupe stimmy, you had, you know, people getting tired of getting tax farmed on ETH. You had people getting tired of paying 30 to $50 a swap on Ethereum. Then Solana comes around and then you have like Bonkbot, you have Unibot, you have Jupe, where it's just like this really good infrastructure that makes it a lot better and easier for, for people to execute trades. Uh, you can actually flip coins for like you know 10 20 percent moves so price action is generally cleaner because it's easier to like market make these coins so the whole narrative behind meme coins and Solana was uh was pretty obvious in hindsight it all started with Miro which was like the 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 founder's dog of Solana or something like that it had something something to do with Solana and like obviously dogecoins or dog coins in general are always kind of like the flavor on every single chain. So from like a narrative perspective, that was like a pretty obvious first bet. Did I catch it? A little bit of it. Did I make as much money as I wanted to? No, because I was kind of a Solana hater throughout the bear market. I just always compared it to a bunch of kids trading trading snacks <laughs> for lunch money for lunch money in high school. So yeah, so obviously it's kind of like, you know, is what's going on in the ecosystem is, is one it's you know when you have all these narratives that pop up on different chains like for example you had the av the avax like meme coin crave or like uh, crave right and a lot of that came from the avax ecosystem fund where they were allocating i think it was a hundred million dollars to meme coins right so people kind of like switched on their avax gambling mindset and bridge over to avax and then there was like a one to two week phase right so then you had like base meme coins right a lot of that came from farcaster farcaster was you know having a lot of user growth it there was doing there were, there was a lot of airdrops it it wasn't something like friend tech where you had to pay a 10 percent fee both ways and it was pretty uh pretty minus ev for a lot of market participants so then you had the base thing right because you had farcaster that was kind of take it off so there's always one thing in the ecosystem that like sparks a general narrative as a whole and then when it comes to, like individual narratives like for example like you have the drake na- uh, narrative on solana right which was like Anita Max win. And obviously that coin is down only, but it was a good three, four weeks of pumps. And that was, in hindsight, it was relatively easy. And why why was that, right? You First of all, you have like the biggest star in the world, you know, saying Anita Max win. And a lot of these coins that have these strong narratives that go up really high are usually 
somewhat like pinned to some IRL narrative, right? You had GME, which like which was obviously like the GameStop stuff that went up a bunch. You had Anita Max win. You had Dog with Hat, which wasn't really pinned to anything IRL. It was just kind of a narrative within itself. And I actually made a little post on that on my Twitter on kind of how that started. But I think a lot of that had to do with CT shills versus like the actual narrative within itself and how good of a meme it was. But, um, oh God, I could talk about this for another 30 minutes. Let me know if I'm going off on a tangent here. <laughs> yeah, um, I think a few points you mentioned, right? Like a lot of them were saying like in hindsight, but when we were at that point, like in that moment in time, how do you think um, whether this narrative is going to take off or not? So. If I'm looking at something that's going to have longevity, the funny thing is a lot of it actually comes down to the developers of these meme coins because there are a lot of good meme coins with great narratives and like great tickers and great memes, but they just suck. It, I don't, and I don't think that people know what it takes to actually create a really good meme coin. You need to have a team. You need to have a market maker. You need to you need to be buying out whale supplies. You need to be cornering supplies. You need to be sniping your own launches, then burning and then burning supply on the side. There's like this whole equation that actually makes a uh, a meme coin successful. So a lot of it comes down to the dev. But like, what actually in like my eyes, if I can like identify a narrative, I know it's going to stick. It's like okay, one. I think one of something that a lot of people underestimate is twitter hashtags it might sound stupid like at face value but it's honestly like pretty pretty huge if you're going on twitter and you're not seeing your coin being posted about every 30 seconds by one a bunch of small fish right where it's people that don't necessarily have a lot of followers uh, they don't have a lot of mutuals. It's just like a bunch of accounts you've never seen before. And why is that bullish? Because those are like your core holders, right? Those are the people that are going to, one, put in all the work for their bags. Unlike somebody who's a pretty big influencer, they're just going to like tweet about it and ride the hype, right? First, you have all these little fish who are putting like five, ten, twenty dollars and they have like a hundred dollar portfolio and they're going to go to battle for this coin. They're going to tweet about it every single day. They're going to go into every public chat. They're going to shill about it like like their life depends on it. So if you have a bunch of these these little fish and all these smaller accounts just like tweeting every single day, eventually that's going to catch eyes of like some of these larger accounts and then like kind of the whole domino effect happens. So Twitter shills is definitely one for kind of like identifying like the strength of the narrative. Then price action and volume as well is huge. Volume is probably one of the one of like the bigger ones that if you you like really need consistent volume on these meme coins, and you'll see that a lot with these stronger narratives. Like you know, if you have a high volume coin, technical analysis on meme coins, which people say oh, TA doesn't work first of all, and TA doesn't work on meme coins. I'm telling you right now, for whoever's going to want to listen to this podcast, like TA on meme coins is ten times better than you know opening up TradingView and like doing TA on a Binance sex perp coin. So it's like with a lot of volume, there's a lot of, you can do TA. So it's like pretty easy to find like support levels. And then like, then when you're looking at these support levels after pullbacks, right? You're looking at like one, is there new holders coming in? Two, is distribution getting better? Three, are whales capitulating? And are there new buyers to back it up, right? Then you look at like Telegram metrics. You look at 
are there are a bunch of new telegram people joining the chat and then you look at like people spamming like slash commands right is it the same three people spamming slash commands or is it or is it 100 people spamming slash commands then you look at like the chatter shield raid bot right how fast are raids being complete like how strong is the community is a is there like a where they post hey raid this suite and it takes 10 minutes to complete all the criteria mm-hmm. or is it something that gets completed in like less than 30 seconds right so there's a few kind of like little tricks to identify like how long a narrative is going to last and like how much juice it actually has. Awesome. You know, when, when you were going off on that end, I was just thinking, you know how this, how ridiculous this would have sound to someone who is not into shit coins. Oh yeah. If I was like walking <laughs> to the local, local mall with like a megaphone or something, I was like, check distribution, check, tw- check Twitter cash tags. They, they'd be all looking at me and like thinking I'm some serial killer or something. Yeah, um, but anyways, yeah, I think that that's really good points you mentioned there. Right? Um, really relevant in my opinion. I have seen certain pullbacks using FIPS actually work quite well for meme coins yep. with really strong trends, right? So yeah, I totally agree there. And the next one then I would I would think about is once you've entered the certain position, right? How do you time your rotations, right? You mentioned rolling. What what was it? What did you mention earlier? There was a coin that you rotated your profits into Tau, right? Oh yeah, Smurf to Tau, exactly. Yeah, Smurf Cat, right. So like, how do you time rotations? When do we start to look at taking profits or scaling out and or entirely shifting it into another position? So let's just take Solana, for example, again, because I think that's like that that's probably like the most relevant example. One, you have to look at leaders are what are leaders doing? There's always that one meme coin on a chain that kind of that kind of sparks the fire, then creates a bunch of other little meme coins that that follow like that meme coins a leader. Right. So you have to look at market cap resistances. I've done a thread on this. You may have read my ultimate meme coin thread. And I talk about market caps a lot and kind of like where coins usually top out. Right. It's. It's you have from market cap resistance, you have like three to 500K, you have 1 million, you have 3 million. After it breaks above 3 million, you have 10 million. If it breaks above 10 and holds 10, you're usually looking for 30 to 40 million. If it breaks above 40 million and holds 40 million, you're usually looking for 100 to 200 million, right? So if your leader of that ecosystem is breaking above that $40 million market cap, like kind of like WIF did or like Miro did, and it's going to the one to $200 million mark, if not higher, that opens up the doors for a lot of these other coins to start going to like, you know, three, four, five million, all the way up to like 30, 40 million, right? So then when that starts to happen, it's time to like look at the price action of majors. And a lot of it is due like one, if it's selling off aggressively, like how shallow are these dips? Are these dips getting bought up immediately on majors or are they making like these kind of like weak lower highs? Is volume dying on majors and rotating into other coins? So a lot of it is looking at the leader and determining if the leader is top. And you can do that one by TA, two by volume, three by looking at holder metrics, right? Are are you seeing like some kind of like stagnation within holder metrics? And you're looking at like, you know, is it like slowly bleeding off, right? And then also it's like the Jupe narrative. There was a lot of people talking about like, hey, is Jupe going to be the top of the Solano ecosystem? Obviously it was because there was like millions and millions and millions of dollars extracted out of the Solano ecosystem. And then the Sol ecosystem kind of went down only since then. Did WIF go down only for temporarily, but like new launches aren't doing as well. So for like rotations for me, so like when to actually get out of a coin, like I'm usually just looking at 
market cap resistances and just like how often it's being talked about because it's really easy especially with when a lot of people have pea brains and their attention spans like the size of a peanut for people to just like tweet about a coin and then never tweet about it again like you want those people consistently tweeting about the like that coin over and over again and then when those people start to lose interest when like some of the bigger accounts start to lose interest some of like the the core initial tweeters that kind of like help like run up the coin when they start losing interest then you start seeing volume start to taper off you start seeing holder metrics start to go down you start seeing a bunch of garbage like the most crazy stupid narratives ever like just stuff that doesn't make sense anymore which most mean points make sense then it's probably time to start scaling out of that ecosystem and start looking for other plays got it got it and you mentioned like looking at the first mover or the the hottest leader right so does uh -huh. that mean you usually not buying into the hottest one and you say you kind of use that as a gauge or let's say if we are in the the hottest meme coin and what should we use as the measurement then well people i like the sayings like if you have a core play then you have a beta play you never really want to chase beta right you're likely going to have better multiples on size if you chase the leader and when beta plays start coming out around that leader that usually sends the leader higher so for me, it's it honestly depends how early I get into the leader. It's I'm not the, the thing is it's I mean right now my risk tolerance might be a little bit higher than what it was a few months ago, but especially on like an unfamiliar ecosystem, it's really hard to chuck size into the leader, right? Especially one if you don't have a lot of size or two the coin has already pumped so much that you're kind of scared to chase. So one if you want to chase the leader it's probably better to chase on size if one you have the capital or you actually have like that risk tolerance or and if you have like a smaller portfolio it's definitely better to gamble on like betas or just you know other coins within the ecosystem because you know if whiff right whiff went to 50 million and or like it's a 50 million right i have ten thousand dollars do i put $10,000 into whiff and then I hit like a 6x. Okay, I made like $60,000 or do I take $10,000 and I, you know, ape $100 into all these different meme coins and likely at some point I am going to hit that like 200 300x which I think we saw a lot during like the Solana meme coin craze and it just honestly comes down to your risk tolerance and like how high you actually see the coin going. Got it, got it. Right, and then with so many of such coins going on, right, so many trending narratives, how do you keep up with so much information flowing around, right? And like, what's your best source of information? Oh my god, I actually, I, I don't have anxiety. I've had anxiety once in my life, and it was at a roulette table uh, when I was at a casino, and I don't know why. It was probably because I had too much, too much to drink that night. But two weeks ago, I had like a bit of anxiety, like heavy chested, and it was just because I was processing so much information on a daily basis that I honestly I couldn't take anymore between the like every narrative, all the chains, all the group chats, like business calls, uh, just keeping up with like business partnerships. There was just so much going on and it's so freaking hard to process the information, but that's where it comes down to like kind of finding your niche, right? Like what exactly are you good at? Because there's perp traders, there's airdrop farmers, there's NFT traders, there's like market makers, right? Then you have siblers, then you have meme coin traders. And then there's like, there's 17 million different sectors in the crypto space that are pretty much at some point, no matter what, there's going to be one sector or one coin within that sector that's doing really, really well. And then you're going to look at that coin and be like, wow, how did I miss that? But in reality, 
the sector mm -hmm. that you're good at, that niche that like your niche, you're probably going to do better there. So for me, it's really just sticking to what I know. And then I think also having ADHD helps me a lot because I'm kind of scatterbrained, but I'm all over the place. If you couldn't tell from this interview, I, I just talk about 17 <laughs> different things in a single sentence. That's just what my ADHD does. So surprisingly, that somehow helps. My high school teachers always told me that was going to be my downfall, but in crypto, it's actually a competitive edge. So it's pretty interesting. But yeah, it's hard to absorb all this information. But I think if you just kind of, you know, tidy up, tidy up your focus and you you focus on one thing in the space instead of trying to capture and hit every every narrative and every uh, sector in the space, you'll probably have a good chance of uh, outperforming this cycle. Got it, got it. So like, where do you usually source for information? Like, do you just scroll Twitter or like, are you watching new pairs launching or some private groups? Yeah, so I say it's a lot. And I tell like I work for like Wealth Group, and I'm like I, I'm in their their meme coin sector pretty much all the time. And what I tell these guys is that you want to do your best to one network and two kind of create like a group of people that have like the same vision as you, and like your interests are aligned. And creating a group chat is really really awesome, especially if you hit people from kind of like every sector, and then every people you know. If you have 10 people, kind of everybody adds, has like a different value add. And that's a huge one because it's a good way to get a, a bunch of like concentrated information about everything that's going on in the space without having to, to look in 17 million different places. So that's huge. So definitely having a group chat is really awesome with like your core friends. And there's nothing better than making a bunch of money with like your core homies who you've just went through two years of hell with. And if I'm finding new pairs, like I have, I'm in a group and we have a bunch of custom bots and these bots are like new deployment pairs, four or four pairs, like trending coins. Like there's coins that identify pattern. There's like 10 different bots that fire off like, you know, 50 to hundred coins a day. And those coins usually come out pretty good. They're custom coded by a friend of mine. So that's one as well. And then another one is just looking at deck screener, which is super, super undervalued. There was a poll, I think that Kobe did not too long ago. I forget who it was. It was like, where do you get your source of information from? Like, where do you find your new coins? And I think like 60 to 70% of the poll said Twitter and people just want to be spoon fed stuff. But, and there was, there was actually a section that said deck screener and it was like seven to 9% and there's like a lot of hidden alpha in there it's like for example there's this coin called M nmt they called it the chinese tau it's the new <laughs> meme i don't know if you've yeah. i don't know if you've heard of it but yeah. there's nothing much going on on binance smart chain right now right so if you were to go to deck screener you were to pull up you know the top the five minute time frame with the most amount of volume on BSC, you could have found that coin at 10, 20 cents. Now it's like $3.50, right? So a lot of it, like a lot of it is going to these new ecosystems, like going to the debt, like doing a custom deck screener filter, doing five minutes, doing uh, by like sort by sort by market cap, sort by volume and sort by LP. And you can find a lot of bangers that way. That's uh, that's super underrated. Then like Twitter is obviously a really good flow of information. Make sure that you have Twitter lists and you put and you're, you're like kind of curating these Twitter lists and making it so it's actually like a bunch of good hitters. So you don't lose too much information. Twitter's for me, it's more of an idea to kind of like help like validate my trade ideas even though i'm like pretty independent when it comes like my own trading ideas but like like hey i have entered this trade now i'm gonna look for a little bit more information look at people doing threads and like one do i respect this trader and he's shilling my bag sure okay so that kind of helps validate my trading idea 
but yeah, that those are those are like the three three main ways that I like find coins, and then I hold coins for a longer period of time. Awesome, got it. And of course, um, I see that you're a lead dev at MetaDrop, right? Yes. You want to share a bit on that then as well? Yeah, I'd love to talk about MetaDrop. So I was hired as the lead biz dev uh, back in the beginning of October. And, and Thank you I don't for know... the correction, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not a dev, trust me. I can barely figure out a computer. I'm not even kidding <laughs> about that. I can't convert anything to like a PNG, but uh, I can read Etherscan like it's a uh, Bible. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I was hired back in October. MetaDrop initially launched as an NFT curated launch platform back in 2020 slash 2021, like Wasi's, Webiverse, Anata, they all launched through there. And then NFTs went through the bear market and a good team pivots, right? Because if something's not working, you need to pivot to doing something different. So MetaDrop pivoted to what we call just like a super basic coin launcher. So that was our product one. And the CEO, Cop, hit me up, who's also been a friend for like three or four years now. And he's like, hey, we have this new product. Do you want to work for us? I think you'd be perfect. Like, all right, what is it? He goes, you can launch any type of coin, any meme coin in less than 30 seconds. I go, dude, that's perfect for me. My network is all meme coins. I have a Twitter following that is specifically catered around on-chain and meme coins. And I am like your perfect candidate for testing the product because I know what goes into making a meme coin successful. So I got hired in October and we released our product one on mainnet. We have done around 680 launches through MetaDrop in October. So like five months, we've done 680 launches. And our first product was a coin launcher. You could log onto our website. You could have absolutely no developer skills whatsoever. And you could create a meme coin in less than 30 seconds. So we've ramped up that project, uh, that product a bunch. We've added a bunch of new features. We recently introduced something called the uh, fair launch pools, which is a really, really interesting concept. And I think whoever winds up listening to it is going to like this concept because I think the way that the space is going, I like, I know Kobe's working on a project like this. A lot of these coins are one, these meme coins are one insider coins, two, they're, they're pre-sales that require you to have a following, or three, these coins are like sniped to shit by, by banana gun snipers, and you're just getting wrecked by people with like three to 5% of the supply. And ultimately, that's not good for normies. Like when we want normies to come in this cycle, we want normies to stay. We don't want normies to come in, get get wrecked by people that have a, a bigger edge over them and then leave right like we want to see like long-term crypto growth where we kind of have like some kind of like sustainable ecosystem versus like your typical cycle and the thing about these fair launch pools is that it's this cool little metric that we created it's kind of like the combination of a pre-sale slash a lbp which is liquidity liquidity bootstrapping protocol and so what it does is team can create a coin and then what they do is they create a like a pool that anybody can contribute to. It doesn't matter how much money you have, who you are, how much Twitter following you followings you have. It's just a pool that anybody can contribute to, right? So let's say the pool is 50 ETH. Everybody can log on, connect their wallet, and they can contribute X amount of ETH. And there is no hard cap on the pool. So there's an so there's overflow, right? So somebody can't come in and then fill the pool 100% of themselves. And the cool thing about this is that everybody who contributes to the pool gets the same price for the token. And the second cool thing about it is all of the ETH that's raised within the pool is used to buy the first buy of the chart, creating a God candle. So all those fair launch pool participants are automatically in profit as soon as the coin launches. And if it goes into overflow after the soft cap is hit, 
people get refunded a portion of their ETH and their token goes down and everybody gets tokens on a pro rata basis. So it's really a cool mech because it's fair for everybody. Everybody gets the same price. You're mm -hmm. in profit pretty much immediately after the token launches. And to kind of prevent sell pressure where people can just claim and dump, we've created a four hour linear vesting period with a burn where you have kind of like you, you have this gamification to it where you have four hours and if you wait the full four hours you get 100 percent of your tokens if you claim you know after two hours you can claim 50 percent. you burn the remainder 50 percent, right you claim after an hour you can claim 25 so on and so forth so it creates this gamification aspect where you have to be like hey i can only claim 33 percent of my tokens but the token's up enough am i going to be happy with these gains or do i want to wait for the full four hours and claim then so that's a cool little product that we uh that we worked on and uh there's some other stuff too but i'll let you ask some questions about that if you have any Man, I mean, that's interesting. I did not know about the gamification part. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's it makes a little fun little fun little game out of it because you know if you hold if you wait for the full four hours and the token goes up ten percent, and you could wind up making like two x of money if you or you know if you claimed two hours and you burn fifty percent of your tokens. Yep. So like people have to kind of it's like more of a guessing game what other people would play. Yeah, to an extent, just for the claiming part, that's kind of like the only guessing game and that where it comes that that's where it, a lot of it comes down to like hey is this a good narrative is this team good right what is the distribution like how's the volume doing because if you like combine all of those metrics then it could be a coin worth uh not claiming until the full four hours is up because you're bullish mm -hmm. on this team long term got it got it interesting i mean definitely suggest everyone to go take a look at metadrop right moving on to the next segment right i'm not sure how much of a macro guy you are right but i want to get a view on the market's outlook for the rest of the year right having the bitcoin halving coming really soon and generally we're kind of in like a bull market right now what are your thoughts man so i drew up some meme some meme chart on bitcoin not too long ago and just like from the complete zero iq left curve approach if you go back to 2012 and then you put the u.s presidential elections and the happening on a chart and you do that from 2012 all the way to now and they're always around the same kind of in the same time within either months of each other or like right around each other it's usually like the start of a completely parabolic run for crypto if you go back to 2012 to 20 uh to 2016 it went up like like 18,000 percent or 1800 percent whatever the number was and then 2016 to 20 to 2021 it went up like you know another 3000 percent or whatever the number is and then you have the 2020 to uh to 2024 and then obviously bitcoin went up uh from down up to 64 and then we're entering that kind of phase again where right after the happening and the presidential presidential election bitcoin just kind of enters some parabolic phase and i think that's a pretty good approach to like kind of push onto normies because one nowadays with the way the world's going normies don't really have a lot of time to one do research and like two in invest so if they hear something along the lines of that where it's like pretty straightforward it's a pretty brain dead narrative and it's something that they can just take price action in history and attribute it to like future price action in history which isn't always a guarantee, but it's enough to like, you know, sell sauce to the normies, then uh, then that's pretty good. So that's kind of my left curve approach that it's going to do well. And then obviously you have like the BTC, uh, BTC ETF where you're, see where you're seeing inflows. Like I think that the first day of Bitcoin ETF inflows, it beat the inflows of every other ETF ever combined at launch. So that's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. 
And just talking to my my parents' friends, they're always texting me. They're like, hey, Matt, I want to get into crypto, but I don't know how. And because my parents are always telling, you know, telling them into crypto and that stuff. So they're always texting me, hey, Matt, I don't know how to get into crypto. So I think BT, the Bitcoin ETFs are a good way for those texts to no longer come to my cell phone where you don't really need to you don't really need to text <laughs> your your friend's son who's 27 and be like, hey, how do I download Coinbase and buy this? Hey, how do I buy Solana like that stuff where they can just like, you know, call their broker, then, you know, buy Bitcoin spot ETFs. So I think there's definitely going to be a wave of fresh money coming in sooner or later. And like once Bitcoin breaks all time highs, it's the same thing every cycle. You know, I don't care what anybody says. This time's different. Like, no, this time's not different. It hasn't been different ever. Like, as soon as Bitcoin breaks all-time highs, the floodgates are going to open and people are going to pull in. And then price targets for me for macro, it's kind of hard. I mean, like, everybody wants 100K Bitcoin, right? But if you like trading mm-hmm. FIBs, I think, like, the 0.618 is somewhere around, like, the 130 to $140,000 range and then like eth obviously eth to 10 10k but i think just looking at like the general crypto market cap as a whole is probably better than just like adjusting price targets i think 10 to 20 trillion is definitely possible i think what's crypto right now like 2 trillion 3 trillion something like that see mm-hmm. actually let, yeah let, let's pull it up let's pull it up it's 1.8 trillion yeah which nice. seems relatively small compared to like, you know, NVIDIA is going up like crazy. So and it topped at what, 3 trillion last cycle? Yeah. So maybe, you know, 10, 10 trillion, somewhere in that 20, 20 trillion range. It went up 300% from 2020 highs to the 20K highs in 2018 to the November 2021 highs. The total cap went from 762 billion to 3 trillion, right? So just assume 3X again. So somewhere in the 10 trillion range. Sounds great to me. Yeah, I'm excited though, man. It's uh it's I think it's I think we we might actually get this quote unquote super cycle. Many, many have whispered rumors rumors of for years. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to it. Up only season. Yeah, man. It, it doesn't feel like it. Like, were you here in twenty twenty? Um no, I kinda joined late twenty twenty one. So I caught only like the last stretch. It was kinda the Pico top then. Oh God, I'm so sorry. You you miss all the fun. <laughs> yeah, vibes, man, I did. vibes are significantly different than they were pre pre all time high break in 2020. And back then it was all wag me vibes. We're all gonna make it. And now it's like nobody is excited anymore. And I don't really know why. It's like there's not a lot of euphoria oh, on the yeah. timeline. <laughs> there, there's not a lot of caps locks in my in my friends group. Everyone's just kind of like content with what's happening and so i don't really know why and the funny thing about that is that everybody has so much more money than they did in the 2019 slash 2020 like beginning of the bull run like all my friends are giga rich like much richer i have a lot more money and you figure that with the amount of money they have you have now relative to where you were in 2019 2020 and like the potential growth for crypto people would be like batshit crazy over what's going to happen over the next two years because they're thinking oh if i 10 20x my portfolio then i'm going to buy three private jets move to dubai and then travel to the maldives every single weekend but there's like (laughs) none of the there's like none of those vibes right now, and I don't really know why. Man, I don't know. Like maybe we're not there yet. Like are we? Maybe we're just at the the slow up creep right now, and we're not going full like loud shouting wag me and all. 
Yeah, it's that sl- yeah. it's that slow grind. I also think it's because altcoins haven't really gone crazy. I mean, yeah, you've had you've had like a few individual runners, but it's mm-hmm. it's not that it's not that crazy. You know, wake up, close your eyes, hit buy, then you make a hundred x, and like you know, by the time you go go to the kitchen and make a hot pocket and come back. <laughs> yeah, I think for those, I think it's only within those who are within the crypto community who are that that is kind of more. Of, aware of what's going on and like the price is moving i think for those who are not in the crypto space they are not so much aware of how much or how many coins are actually moving up in price right and the, how how they're kind of doing so much better compared to the bear market uh, like for myself right i did not even notice that eth is significantly closer to 3k now than it was i think one two weeks ago yep i did not know it that it actually went up, like I wasn't even tracking, right? And... Yeah, it's because it's been doing nothing. <laughs> exactly, right? And like, I uh, haven't really heard of friends around me also talking about it yet, right? And compared to in 2020 or 2021, the, the whole world knows about it, right? Everyone's talking about Bitcoin price, talking about Ethereum price, certain NFTs or like Dogecoin price, for example. I think we're not there yet, but hopefully soon, yeah? Yeah, I hope so too. And like, the difference is, is back in 2020, nobody had anything to do. Everybody was inside. Oh, that is true. <laughs> stuck, yeah, stuck with COVID. So what were you doing? You were either playing video games or like hyper gambling your way to generational wealth on crypto. And like now nobody, nobody has time anymore. Like I talk to all my normie friends and they're either working two jobs, they have no savings and they don't really have time to like focus on crypto. They always call me like eight o'clock on a Tuesday. Like, yo, what do I buy? I'm like, dude, come home from work do your laundry and just spend one hour a day just researching crypto and they just won't do it. And I, I don't know why. It's too risky, man. We don't know if it's going to be here to stay. We can't spend so much time on it. That's why I feel. And it's like they, and these, these people who are working for like 60, $80,000 a year and they're working, you know, 60 hours a week and they're saving for houses and houses are going up like crazy. Interest rates are high. They don't have excess capital to just chuck, like two, three K into like some play. And if they burn it, then that's like like three, four months of savings for them. That's why during the COVID area, all those stimulus checks were super nice because it was just free money and people were on employment. So they had really had no responsibilities. Yeah, man. Bring back the free money. Yeah. Retail will come there. They will be <laughs> here and they will, they will buy my bags and my bags specifically. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so for sure. Um, and I think that's all the crypto related questions I have, right? And yeah. I want to get to know about yourself a bit more personally. So could I get you to share with us your daily routine? Like how does your day look like? Yeah, <laughs> so it's quite interesting actually. I wake up every morning from four to 6 a.m. No matter what, it's just my wow. body clock thing. It started happening in the bear market. I am on the computer from four to six or I'm in my bed on my phone. I'm checking prices, checking up with messages, checking up with group chats, either closing positions into like Asia hours or something like that. Then I usually go back to bed for another two, three hours. I wake up at nine. First thing I do is I grab a Monster Energy at the local convenience store, which I think is going to kill me before this bull, this bull market ends. Like my, <laughs> my, kidney, my, my kidneys are rotting away internally, and I need to stop that habit. So I grab a Monster Energy. I come home. I put my, my bathrobe on. I put my slippers on. I sit at the computer. And the first thing I do is I check up on anything Metadrop related, like any biz dev conversations, partnerships, stuff like that. And then once I do that, then I usually check all of my bags, making sure everything is a-okay. Do I one want a profit? Do it take? Do I want to add? And then once I'm done with that, then I 
I start looking for like new plays for the day. I, I see what's going on. I check my scanners. Is there anything firing off? Is there any like big hype launches coming today? Obviously do some some posts on Twitter before there. And then the rest of my day is like just keeping up with group chats, keeping up with work stuff, buying and selling coins. I'm literally, I'm not kidding. I'm in my bathrobe in my slippers, like 16 hours a day at the computer, seven days a week, except for Saturday nights when I hang out with my girlfriend. No gym. I'm down like 50 pounds of muscle. I have a terrible hunchback right now. I'm skinny. I look disgusting. I have a grimy mustache. My hair's a mess, but that's okay. It's sacrifices we need to make. Like I think I've went to the gym. I'd probably have a clear mindset and I'd feel much better. But the thing is, if I go to the gym and I don't look at my phone for two hours, I'm going to miss something and I can't miss something. So, and if I go to the gym, I'm going to be looking at my phone. So yeah, it's literally just that until like six o'clock rolls around. I barely even eat. I'm eating like maybe around three or 4 p.m. I'll make some ramen noodles or some some pizza rolls or something like that or Lunchables. Six o'clock rolls around. I make some dinner. I usually have a, a cup of coffee and then I'm back at the computer till like usually 12 or one o'clock. And then on the weekends, Saturday, Sundays, I hang out with my girlfriend. And that's my weekly and daily routine. There's dedication yes. right there, but yeah. I'm not. I'm not so sure if it's un, uh, really healthy for you. <laughs> oh, it's definitely not. Luckily, I have good genes, so it's like if I sit here and I eat like shit and the whole nine yards, I don't gain weight. I literally lose weight. So I'm like, from I'm not wow. gonna get fat. I'm just gonna look disgust. I'm just gonna look like I'm sick. But that's I'm all right. As long zone. as I make yeah, as long as I make ten to twenty million dollars this bull run, I will look like a, I will look like a malnourished dog. It's okay. <laughs> and then you can spend more time on on the gym and getting the health back. Exactly. When I'm not in, in the trenches buying 50K market cap shitters, I can actually <laughs> like go go to the gym and uh, and better myself in, the, in those ways. So is that your goal for this cycle? To hit the seven figs or like eight figs? Well, I, yeah, I hit seven figs last cycle. Um, mm -hmm. I started with $1,000 and I hit seven figs. I hit like, I think my peak, my picto top net worth was around 7.5 million and that was after bsc season like i made all my money wow. on bsc it was freaking nice. crazy i gave a lot of it back don't get me wrong and i think that's one thing that i need to do better on this cycle is actually cashing out money into the bank my mistake was i cash out a bunch of stables into coinbase as hey this is gonna be my house money this is gonna be my future money but instead of cashing those stables out into the bank i just was putting those stables back into my metamask and then keeping <laughs> aping $250,000 into the art blocks top, aping a bunch of nonsense and like adding too much risk and too much stables into the crypto ecosystem too late into the cycle. Man, I think that's something that I hear really often, right? Like, um, taking profits at the end of the cycle is something that many from previous cycle wish they had done more. Yeah, it's like really easy to make money in crypto. It's like, I mean, at least for me, and I think a lot of people who are crypto native, but it is really damn hard to keep money, like crazy hard. And you asked me a question, like what is one like word of advice that I would give my to my younger self? Yeah, and it one would be, piece of advice. And it would be earlier in the cycle, you wanna be full risk on, like no stables, absolutely nothing, balls to the wall. And then you need to kind of look at the flow of liquidity and the flow of money and like what coins are pumping, like kind of the risk appetite for like the general crypto participant. And as that starts to like, as you start to move down the ladder from like the Bitcoin pump, then Bitcoin starts consolidating or chopping within like, you know, a, a two month, three month range, similar to what we saw at like the 64K top. And then you start seeing like mid caps pump and then you're getting like, you know, 
you're getting like $100 million market caps on like these random side chains or like chains that nobody's used. Like, for example, like DeFi Kingdoms and Jewel, right? Nobody used Harmony One. That went to like a billion. That was literally the top before like crypto went to shit. And when that starts to happen, instead of cashing out like new plays into ETH or into other risky plays, you, you want to start cashing out like into into stables like right now if i sell a position i'm usually cashing it out to eth you know as time progresses when i sell a position i'll do like 50 percent eth and 50 percent usd usdc then cash out 25 percent of that into the bank and keep 25 percent into crypto so a lot of it is just you know instead of being completely risk on all the time you, you just just really scaling back and make sure you're rotating those profits into actually stables and instead of other coins got it got it right i think a lot of people Right now, we are rotating profits into either ETH or like some other out plays. But definitely, I think that's something for, for myself to learn as well, to rotate some of the plays into USDC or stables in, in general. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I have literally right now, I have $232 of stables to my name. That's all the stables I have. <laughs> I mean, I am full risk on right now. And I think that's fine. Like, I can endure a 30 to 40% like drawdown on my net worth because I think ultimately that's going to be a good buy, but I won't have funds to buy the dip. But hopefully I make some plays between there where I will have funds to buy the dip. But yeah, that's definitely something that I wish I did better the previous two cycles. Awesome. Right, and let's wrap things up soon, right? What's your yeah. greatest takeaway from being in crypto, right? You've been here for seven years. What's your greatest lesson? My greatest lesson, I would say my greatest lesson is to really just not give up, man. Like, seriously, don't give up. You will have your time. Like, I made a lot of money in 2021, and I cash out a lot of stables. I saved my dad's business from going under. I gave my dad pretty much all my bull market cash. And then I didn't have a job. So I was had like crazy high bills. I was, you know, cashing out of crypto every month to pay $10,000 credit card bills. So I went broke really, really fast. And then October 2022 rolls around. And I had literally $750 crypto liquid to my name after being seven figs in 2021. Right. So wow. I was really, really, really broke, you know, between helping my dad, you know, paying off my car, having expensive bills. Right. And in uh, like a whole bunch of other like personal stuff, I had $750 in my name and I put $750 into a coin called WCI World Cup Inu during the soccer meta <laughs> uh, in 2022. And I ran $750 up to 42 ETH. So wow. that was kind of the start. And then in January, Kanto happened. I don't know if you've, or Kanto, however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. I bridged $18 to Kanto, literally $18 to Kanto. And I ran $18 to $150,000 on Kanto. So what the? Yeah, I bought Schnoises for a dollar each, the, the NFT, really at one Kanto per. It went to 1800 Kanto per when Kanto was 80 cents each. So I made a lot, a lot of money on on those. Then I sold some of those off, and I rotated with the ecosystem, and I made a bunch of money on that as well. So, and that kind of set me up. So it's like, dude, like no matter how down bad you are, like truthfully, never stop gambling. <laughs> wow, man, you need to send me your address. I need to copy trade that. <laughs> I have two hundred. I have two hundred eighty nine MetaMask wallets. It's gonna be a nightmare for you to copy. <laughs> man, that's insane. Like, do you use all of them actively or like, do you move from like, is that your total amount of addresses that you have in total? 
Yeah, total. Not all. A lot of them are dead wallets, but a lot of them have just like dead old NFTs or dead bags that hopefully one day I'll check back one day and <laughs> be like, hey, here's a dead bag that's up like, you know, 100x from bear market lows. And here's a nice little stimulus check. Nice, nice. Right. I mean, that, that's really insane story they just shared there. And great learning point, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Right. And the last question would then be, could you give me three names as guest nominations for future guests to the podcast? Yes, I'd say my first guess would be Toptic. I don't know if you know who Toptic is, but he is easily one of the best traders I know. He's pretty much in every narrative early, like CryptoPunks in 2017, Tau OTC, uh, Art Blocks during minting era. Like this guy is super smart. I had him on my uh, podcast a few weeks ago. Super smart. He's pretty much in every narrative early and it's always cool to pick his mm -hmm. brain. He's super, super, uh, he's super knowledgeable on AI. They call him the crypto AI guy. So that'd be cool to talk to him about AI and stuff. And my second person I would say is Stoic Savage. Sto. He's one of the best airdropper, airdrop farmers in the space. He's hit literally every major airdrop for ample amounts of money. Somehow, if there's an airdrop, Stowe is getting an airdrop. I don't know how, but uh, he's just getting it. So he's also, he's he's a super good guy, uh, really knowledgeable, super smart as well. And then a third, which he's not, doesn't really have a huge Twitter presence. His name is, uh, his name is No Face, OX No Face. I met him in one of my core groups called The Syndicate. And he's like a pretty small fish, but he's a really, really smart dude. He knows a lot, like a lot on like how uh, market making works and how like exchanges work and how kind of like the stuff that nobody really knows about. So when it comes mm -hmm. to like D doing DD and like understanding how coins get listed and all that stuff, he's really, really knowledgeable in that stuff. So he'd be another great guest to have on. And I can send you all their Twitters after if you want to hit him up or I can reach out to them. That'd you. be great. Yeah. And I yeah, think of course. that that's really three really interesting picks you have, right? I'm not familiar with them, but Sounds really interesting and I'd love to have them on in the future. And with that, I think we've come to the end of this episode, right? Thanks for taking the time and really loved all your sharing and how enthusiastic you were in all your stories, right? Thank you for that. Yeah, Moose, thank you for coming on. I always just love coming on, you know, not not too serious of uh, just good conversation flow. You know, I like how he said, let loose with Moose. It didn't feel like I was, you know, in a professional interview on Wall Street. I absolutely loved it. I <laughs> uh, like the way you structure your podcast, and I look forward to listening to this back and cringing from the sound of my voice. Yeah. Right. Th <laughs> thanks so much, Coin Guru, for, for taking the time, right? And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this episode. We will see you in the next episode and don't forget to check out his Twitter page, which I will link in the bio down below. Awesome. Moose. Have a great weekend, man. Thanks for having me on. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Before you go, do remember to give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button so you never miss a thing. Comment down below what you liked about this episode, who you would like me to interview next, or any topics that you want to learn more about. Until next time, this is Moose moving out.